0: And welcome to The Turning Point, a weekly show that's being created to help you overcome the challenges of having the career you always dreamed of. Together, we're going to be learning how to overcome those obstacles that may stand in your way. My guests will give you an insight into their own turning point and what issues they came across when starting their journey to a happier working life. Hello, and today's guest is Colin Gray, who is a podcaster, a writer and a PhD in digital education, he specializes in engaging through content with podcasters at its core and how to publish prolific content without killing yourself. His company, The Podcast Host, helps anybody grow who wants to grow their audience by combining podcasting, blogging, and video to cultivate fanatical fans. Oh, we all, everybody's got fanatical fans calling, and we're actually quite scared of them sometimes, but welcome to the show. I'm sure you've got many, many uh, fanatical fans, Dan. <laughs> but thanks Perhaps for Maybe just my ready. dog. <laughs> 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 oh, well, we just had a very brief chat, but um, let's get stuck into this. So let's sure. let's tell me a bit a bit about you and what you did before the podcast host. Yeah, sure.
1: Um, it's a long and meandering story of how I got to podcasting. To be honest, uh, many years ago, I studied astrophysics at Edinburgh University. That was wow. Uh, that's where I kind of started out. Um, soon discovered that uh, astrophysics is far less of looking into the cosmos with fascination and far more ridiculously hard equations and math. So uh, I quit that pretty quick. Uh, didn't do a thing with it since and um, eventually ended up in uh, web design. That was kind of my first um, attempt at a career. Uh, well, if you don't count the four or five years of bar work, of course, through uh, university and a few years after that. But yeah, it was web design for the first little while, actually. It's quite contrasting, those two. Yeah, yeah, just a little bit. (laughs) Um, So yeah, that kind of, it it was through the web design though that I got into podcasting because I ended up through the web design work, I I started out as a freelancer when I was about 22, 23, and uh, basically struggled a lot to find much work. I, I, I discovered pretty quickly that most successful freelancers have had a good uh, employed career first, and that's where they made their contacts, that's where they grow their skills, that's where they learn how to sell themselves, um, and me kind of jumping straight into it without all those contacts and that network. It didn't work very well at all. So mm. um, that's how I ended up in education, actually. I ended up working for colleges Uh, Teaching web design. So even though I was a bit of a a failed business uh, web designer, I uh, I managed to teach people because I knew the tech. I knew how to do it. I just didn't know how to sell the damn service. Yeah, it's Uh, uh, two vastly different things, aren't they? Indeed. Indeed. Absolutely. Um, So I really enjoyed teaching people, actually. And it was in that job, it was when teaching students that I came across podcasting because it was... It was kind of fashionable tech at the time around how you enhance your learning, how you teach more effectively. It was just another way to put your learning materials out there is create a podcast, put it out in audio. Um, so I learned how to do that, ended up teaching lecturers how to podcast, I actually ran courses in Edinburgh, a couple of different unis teaching people how to podcast as a, a learning tool. Uh, and that kind of led to just starting up the podcast host Um and uh, since then, I've been concentrating really heavily on just growing out that business as um, uh, just a way of teaching people, helping people start their own podcast and grow their own business or their own hobby or just sort of talking about their passion that way.
0: I mean, I, I quite like that sort of very succinct description of where you've got, where you've gone from one to, but I like that you ended up in education, then yeah. teaching the lecturers and then progressing from there. Indeed. Yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it, there's like, a, there a whole lot of a, things on the, the other.
1: View, but... <laughs> yes. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> was how, how did almost you, natural
0: their uh, natural progression, but not quite. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> how, how did they, uh, um, adapt to the, the sort of podcasting? Cause I assume it was, was it early stages there when, when you were doing that in, for the podcasting in arena? At... Yeah. When I was
1: teaching at university, um, the the lecturers were it was funny doing that job i was uh it was what they call it a learning technologist which basically means that it's your job to to figure out all the ways that technology can be used to teach students more effectively or to enhance learning or to support learning whatever it is um so that was anything from just using a blog like it was kind of funny in the even 2008 2009 blogging was still a really revolutionary idea to lecturers um I mean, it wasn't that established, I suppose, in the real world by that point, but it was still, it was, they're way behind, basically. And um, so my job was basically to teach them about blogging, about wikis, about the virtual learning environments that they used, which were things like Moodle and Technical and all these kind of things. Um, So there there was a funny part of that job in that half of it was people coming to me with a real passion to teach more effectively. They'd found out about tech and they want to know more about it. And so they come to me to find out more about it. And I would get to go off and research it and, you know, discover all the cool things about it and then teach them about it. But the other half of it was the complete and utter... um, (laughs) of dates <laughs> up to uh, people who were just a bit reluctant so it was it was the other half who were actually just quite happy doing it the way they were they didn't need any more technology and there was there was some that were actually like positively against it like quite um, aggressively against technology so there was <laughs> it was a funny job with those two halves half of it was beautiful learning with people
0: in uh, collaboration and the half basically forcing tech down their throats <laughs> I mean, that's a win-win because people are bringing this new tech to you. But then you've got to go away and learn it, which helps mm-hmm. you again. And then you help them. So they they basically finding this new stuff for you. You get to become awesome at using it and then yeah. give it back to them. So you're constantly learning and developing your skills, which will allow you to expand to different things. So it's a win-win, really. Yeah, and You're getting paid to do reason, it. you yeah, yeah, yeah paid to learn yeah. rather than the other way around. It costs me a fortune to learn things at university. <laughs> True. <laughs> So what, how, how did your mindset start to change then from when you were starting to move on from that? Or did you just start applying these new skills and these technologies that you were picking up and doing things on the side or? Yeah
1: so I like I said I was I started out as a freelance web designer so I'd always had a mind that I'd quite like to work for myself um, and I had over a couple of years um, well when was it now so it was yeah, the, the two years bef- or the year I, su- I should say before I started working in the first education jobs so before I started working in college, I started experimenting with starting up my own sites and just kind of playing around with content, different ways to earn money online. Um, and I got into, there's a podcast actually that first started me thinking about it called Internet Business Mastery by um, Jared, uh, no, what was the name again? So long ago, I can't remember now actually. Uh, Jason Van Orden he was the main guy yeah so he they they basically talked about online business they ran a membership coaching but they gave away tons of good stuff in the podcast and so I started building out a few different content sites you know starting to try and um, grow some affiliate income some advertising income maybe try and sell some products experiment with drop shipping that type of stuff um, and so when I was working at the college and the university uh, in my evenings my weekends and actually in the latter days at the university I was only working three days a week so so, I was kind of all the way through that I was still playing around with my own stuff Um, For example, a couple of them would be I'm really into mountain biking So mountain biking is one of my big hobbies And I started a mountain biking site To start writing about bikes And what I'd learned and skills and equipment And stuff like that So that is actually a a reasonably successful site these days Mountainbikesapart.com Where I just write about uh, everything mountain bikes And it it gets a bit of affiliate income Through selling bikes, uh, bike equipment You know, um, clothes and stuff like that uh, so that one did all right, but there was a there was a bunch that didn't do well at all. I kind of I was do you know I don't know why it popped into my head yesterday, but I was thinking back to the, the time I spent about six months at one point totally enmeshed in this ridiculous scheme whereby you remember I don't know if you ever came across it where people were creating these niche sites which were you know five six seven pages about a really really specific term. So uh, an example of them was um, what was it like flyers for golf courses? So that was the keyword you were trying to target. So you create. Five or six uh, pages around that and then try and target and put Google AdSense on it and then get a little bit of income from that. And you could get them up to maybe one or $200 a month and then have 10 of those sites and you get a good income. So I got invested in this and created about 10 or 15 of them. And it was right before the huge changes that Google brought in, like around, um, you know, Penguin and Panda and all those updates yeah. that basically wrecked any chance for those types of sites to succeed.
0: So I've had a I couple of we- people on the show that did exactly the same thing. <laughs> really? Sort of the early stage sort of back, back underground sort of money making thing there. They worked, didn't it? It did at a time. I was just a bit late to it. I was reading other people's
1: success and I came to it just as Google were clamping down on it. So yeah, (laughs)
0: some successes, some massive failures. (laughs) So how, how, how are you now, uh, developing and progressing with the podcast host? So right now, I mean, the last the last two years have seen a whole lot of
1: changes, to be honest. Um, the, the site started out simply as content, as teaching, as, as free stuff. It was just articles and podcasts, basically. And I, I managed to transition over to it full time, thanks to the fact that I started writing about equipment. So I was reviewing microphones, mixers, uh, digital recorders, all the kind of kit that podcasters use. And that basically started to do quite well in the search rankings. So uh, I started to get a bit of affiliate income through that. started to get good traffic so I could do some advertising, sponsorship. So the site as a part-time endeavour started to make a decent income. And that was while I was still working at the university. And it was about the point where... in fact it was when I decided I wanted to so I decided basically I wanted to jump into that full time but I wasn't quite as brave as some people claim you should be Um, Mm -hmm. and I had a backup plan which was uh, I had I was offered a PhD at the time so because I was working in education I kind of I was in that kind of world and I had areas which I was researching so it kind of tied together quite nicely because I was teaching courses on the podcast host I was creating courses for our users um, and that was kind of my expertise at the university too. So I ended up taking on a PhD in online courses in online education. So I took that on, um, which is a three-year course. You get a bit of income from that. It's not much, but it's like a it's a decent pays the bills at least, which gave me the, you know, the safety net, I suppose, to jump into the podcast host uh, almost full time. So the PhD was basically two or three days a week and the podcast host was the other two or three days a week. So mm-hmm. that was that was kind of the start of it really. And from there, I really the, the plan was just to keep growing the content, keep growing the affiliate income, but to start to do client work, to start to do uh, courses as well. So I was starting to create paid courses. So I started to create a, a launch course, which we sold for about $150, started to create some equipment courses, an Audacity editing course. But alongside that, started trying to sell a service as well. And I took on an employee at that point. Um, who was helping me with editing client podcasts. We did all right with actually, we ended up with, was it about seven or eight clients I think at our peak um, working with them and basically they would send us the audio, we'd send it back uh, produced and branded, all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and it was good fun um, but To be honest, it's as you probably know, it's not a very scalable business doing kind of client work like that. It's pretty fragile as well. Really heavy competition for that type of stuff. So right now, the last six months has basically been transitioning away from that into more online coaching, into a membership which sells our our courses and into developing a bit of software as well. So a SaaS application which is going to help us help podcasters to produce their media much more easily.
0: Well, was there a specific defining point where you thought this is not going to be a, a, a long-term thing? We need to develop into something else. Yeah, I think
1: it was there. There was really actually it was a, there was a bit of a well to, to coin your phrase there was a turning point where um, there was one client in particular. No, there was two actually. There was two clients, but they were quite different. Um, but they were both basically taking up at least two or three times the amount of time that they should have been and we had so we'd taken on these both of these clients one of them was basically uh, the type of client that is kind of late to do everything Is a bit it's very busy that's why they're outsourcing it totally understandable but you know you need you need stuff from clients to be able to do the work <laughs> otherwise it holds you yeah. up and and we ended up you you know you end up being doing the chasing and telling them you've got to get a podcast out this week when you're going to send us the audio when you're going to send us the transcription when you're going to send us this and that and because of that that client ended up taking up probably two or three times the amount of time we allocate to clients every every single week to make a profit on it so basically we weren't making much at all and in fact we were probably losing money on me paying the staff and all the sort of all the overheads and everything the other client was actually just quite difficult to be honest um and they ended up um do you know asking you know the kind of clients that just ask for more and more and more and do you know what i can't even grudge them that either because if i'm paying for a service i want to get the most from it but there's a point where it's starting to to take the piss a little bit to be honest isn't it and and that was just a really difficult relationship managing that all it was there was always asking for more and then have to push back and asking for more and push back and um it probably a bit my fault i didn't manage to i didn't manage it that well i didn't set the boundaries well enough uh,
0: and that was i was just plenty. gonna say this is probably quite a, a topic area that some people might need a little help with so uh, yeah, sure. what was what were the things you were trying to do just to sort of manage that better or what things now do you think well, i can't believe i did that you know now having a bit more experience Ah, yeah. Well, the first th- the first thing is with neither of them did we, before we took on those clients, we didn't
1: really have much in the way of terms and conditions. You know, I always thought we don't need that kind of thing. We're just, you know, quite informal. We work with clients. Everything goes fine. But actually, it turns out that you do need to set down some really, <laughs> really solid T's and C's saying, right, here's what you're paying. This is exactly what you get for it. And obviously, we're, we're looking for a good relationship with you. So there's a bit of flexibility here or there, but this is the base of it. And I think that that is what we needed in the first place, because the problem with, excuse me, that second client was that we gave a little bit. So we did give a little bit of leeway one week, but then actually the next week, the leeway would go on top of that and then on top of that the next week and then on top of that the next week. So by, by month two, you're like miles away from where you're supposed to be. Yeah. Whereas if you've got those T's and C's to go back to, you can be flexible. You can say, right, yeah, we'll do that this week. But you can say, but remember, T's and C's show that this is above and beyond. So we're not going to go any further than that. And it brings it back to it. So it seems obvious that we should have done that. That's the, I can't believe it did that. But that that was something that would help a lot.
0: And what, how did you deal with what, obviously they were obviously piling things on each week, week after yeah, week. Yeah. yeah. How would you, how did you just end up just doing it all?
1: Some, yeah, we we did much more than we should have uh, because I didn't have those solid conditions, those solid um boundaries that we should have had at the start and it's really hard to put them in later on it's really hard once people start paying you for things it's really hard to put boundaries in later um so we did end up doing far too much and we tried a few times to bring it back but it just it doesn't work very well once you've
0: let it go a little bit so it ended up that was just a bit of a broken relationship i was just going to ask how did it how did you fare when you said actually no we can't do this because it is outside of the scope yeah. Uh,
1: it was difficult. <laughs> we did, we did, <laughs> really well
0: uh, back and forth. We,
1: we actually, we did a little bit of, so it's, um, there's two of us here that work on that side of things mainly. Matthew is our main audio producer. So he would be the main contact. So actually, we did a bit of, uh, we did do a bit of good cop, bad cop stuff. <laughs> um, <which laughs> sounds ridiculous, but actually, I found it did work quite well because, in a sense, that Matthew would say something like, um, uh, okay, I, I understand you're asking for this. I'm really sorry, but I'm just I'm going to go and check with uh, Colin, who's the you know the founder of the company, CEO, all that kind of stuff. He and he could go back and kind of pass the blame along a little bit to me, and I could be a little bit more stern because I'm not dealing with them day to day. Yeah, it didn't it, it didn't sour the relationship so much with Matthew and pass it on. I'm not sure. I'm not sure whether that's like a uh, a great way to end it or not. But it it did work quite well. Um, so definitely, if you've got a team. Um, allied delegating the decision making can maybe help a little bit
0: (laughs) i like it (laughs) so i'm I'm guessing now that you've got solid terms of conditions for everything you're doing now yeah absolutely definitely um and you know what the other the other thing i learned uh, and this helped with both of them
1: that both that difficult client and the other client who was actually more just late is that we set up specifically for that Um, that first client uh, a much more strong uh, much more robust uh, project management system so we ended up working uh, trying out a few different things Uh, we tried out Basecamp for communication for keeping everything in one place Um, we ended up with Trello actually so we now use Trello for our full workflow basically because it's I find it's a good balance between simplicity and uh, complexity so Basecamp was just too much actually I felt it was just too complex yeah I agree with that yeah, it's it, clients don't like it. it. It'd be fine for you. Like as a, a running project, it's quite good. But when you've got to bring people in that are not necessarily using it every single day, they're just going to be in once a week to check in with you, to to add some assets, to communicate a little bit. Trello seems much easier for me. Um, and the bonus is it's cheaper as well. But actually, I, hmm. even if Trello costs the same as Basecamp, I think I would still choose Trello over it.
0: I, well, it's it's a very usable tool and very adaptable, isn't it? Because it's just bots yeah exactly yeah you can set up exactly who you want it it's great so it, it can be very it'll be very very flexible depending on how each and sort of individual works but it's it, anybody can use it as well it's not complex in any way shape or form it's click add or type somewhere or whatever isn't it It's yeah. just as a simplistic tool i mean that's what we use in the studio we use it uh, for internal stuff Uh, across the clients, we pretty much use that and Slack, really. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's exactly us as well these days, actually. I I used to be a bit of a, I still am a bit of a sort of tools geek. I'll try anything out. But actually in the last year, the last year and a half, I've totally cut down that part of my personality. It just wants to try everything um, and saying this is working well for us. It's simple, it's easy, but it works. Um, And even if something else might make an incremental difference, this works fine and it's
0: perfect. Yeah it just suits everything doesn't it unless yeah. there's a there's something that's of massive um in, increase so it's so much better than the, what's the point yeah yeah cuz it's doing it's doing perfectly fine there's no need to make a change unless you need to make yeah. a change. If that it starts, makes sense. It's the old, the old cliche. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But
1: exactly but, that one. But it's, but it's, it's so hard not to because you see these shiny new tools coming out, and everybody starts raving about them. It's like Slack, wasn't it? I mean, Slack was suddenly I'd never heard of it, and then the next day it was everywhere. It just popped up, and I put off trying that out for a while, actually. So sometimes these new tools come along that do have a kind of a magnitude of difference in terms of the effectiveness. But I think it's hard to spot which ones are going to make that kind of difference and and not, and ignore all the other ones.
0: Yeah. I mean, it always surprises me with tools like that, how different people use them in a completely different way. It's like, I've got a variety of uses for um, like, for example, Trello, it's, it's iMessage. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's just, it's just a messaging service, isn't it? So, why is that? You can what? What's the difference? Well, you can send you can send emails with attachments just like you can on Slack, yeah. but somehow Slack's just that much better. Yeah, yeah. just because it's, how you can sort of profile everything up and with new channels, teams, and things like that. But it, it it's the same thing. Yeah, yeah. It's funny
1: the it's just the user experience, isn't it? It's like it exactly. doesn't even have to have any. It, sometimes it doesn't take more functionality to create that like 10 times better ex, uh, effectiveness it's actually just easier quicker simpler or nicer
0: actually you just enjoy using it more so you use it more often it, exactly i think you couldn't be any you couldn't be any more on point it, things are just nicer to use then people are going to use them yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah, that's we're, why we're Slack use... all day every day <laughs> <laughs> that's why people there's there's sort of roles for user experience and all that and I, that's gone through the roof and which is probably one of the main focal points online at the minute mm-hmm. just because that's what it's all about i mean i i don't use certain things just because it's a pain in the ass yeah yeah for sure i mean if i, there, I can if i can there's check, a load of examples check, of them <laughs> yeah if i can check out using paypal i'm going to check out using paypal rather than typing in card details. i think that that's a very lax example yeah. but if it's there, I'm always going to use it just because it takes two seconds. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's a good example. Um, so just going into the coaching side of things, mm-hmm. um, what sort of things do you have to sort of coordinate, learn and, and, and change really um, moving forward from that? I mean, it was obviously the coaching is going to be very um, uh, specific to each individual person, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, so... The cha- yeah, the change we made really was that we we used to do much more one-to-one. We used to do much more unscalable, um, small group stuff, as in doing work, maybe even live workshops or uh, one-to-one calls on Skype or things like that. And the the big kind of focus for me was just to reach more people. And it wasn't I mean, obviously that leads to um, a bigger business, more income, that kind of thing, which is all beneficial to the business itself. But it was actually just that I was feeling quite limited as well. I, I just wanted to get our stuff out there more. And I felt <clears throat> I felt kind of limited by just spending so much time just with very small groups of people. Um so the, the solutions we got to that were, so the, the coaching program really is actually more of a, it's a membership site really when it comes down to it. We, we took all of our courses. Uh, so we had about five courses at the time, I think, all selling from anything from $99 up to 199 So I, I keep talking in dollars because uh, about two thirds of our audience on the podcast host is US based, even though we're UK based as a, as a business. Um, I
0: tend to find so that that's a running be, trend.
1: Yeah, yeah, totally. I, especially with a kind of, um, well, podcast in particular, I mean, that took off in the US way earlier and they're, they're still far ahead yeah, yeah. in terms of volume and um, and skills in some ways too, sad to say. But um, but yeah, so selling courses between $100 and $200 and I found that it was, it was hard to sell them. It was a real struggle. Even though we have good traffic on the site, we've got a good engaged audience. Um, there's just so much free content out there. There's quite a lot of of competition and uh, podcasting coaching as well. So, the solution for me was to bundle it all up into a membership, uh, put in some coaching from us as well. And that's now what we sell. So we call it the the podcast host Academy and it has our full course library, which is about seven or eight courses now. Um, it has an hour every other week. So every fortnight we do an hour live session. So I'm experiment, experimenting with different ways to do it just now, whether it'll be Slack, Facebook live webinar style. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying a few different methods right now. Um, and then we've got our resources too, and that's really that's a well popular part of it actually because we've got things like um, Skype interview checklists and outreach emails and uh, and how to how to like full guides to how to grow your audience and stuff like that. So people like that stuff too. So it's just that uh, we moved over to that just because I wanted to have a kind of reliable. Um, recurring income for the business somewhere we could point everyone as opposed to you know saying oh what course would you like do you want this one or that one and just instead i just say well look this is where we work with people you want teacher from us you want coaching from us just jump in there it's not that much it's only 18 dollars a month so jump in we'll talk to you and help you out and that was that was the plan with that really
0: it also saves you quite a bit of ongoing work, doesn't it? Because you've created this, you've got this, the all, all the sort of coaching stuff, a lot of it done. And then you just dip in and do a bit of one-to-one, a, a lot less one-to-one, but you do a bit of it in the end and yeah. they get this big pack.
1: Yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really enjoying doing the one-to-one, uh, sorry, the one-to-many sessions. So the open office hours, um, doing that every other week. And people people from the community pop in, they ask questions. There's a bit of a a kind of... There's, there's a bit of banter going on, you know, a bit of uh, camaraderie, just like a bunch of people going in, everyone getting to know each other. Um, and it's really good. And it, it does, it, it, it lets you do that one-to-one coaching. So I'll talk to one person for 15 minutes about what they're struggling with right now, but the whole rest of the room will hear it. And that's kind of what I, that's what I was missing. I was missing that, you know, you help somebody with a problem and it goes straight to them, but it feels so limited. Instead, you're helping somebody with a problem, but actually it's helping a whole bunch of other people yeah. at the same
0: time. So I find that really satisfying. Well, yeah, it's, it's repurposing the content that are, that are just going to help people, but they're not actually having to ask either. They're just getting told, and like, oh yeah, I'm having the same problem. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, because they're so common, a lot of the problems. Yeah. Oh yeah, big time. So across across the things that we've just been discussing, what what would you say you found sort of the biggest obstacle along all of it? The well. One, I think one of the biggest obstacles
1: for me in terms of getting to where we are just now actually was the the messaging around the the membership because I I decided back in October we were going to cut down the client work. We cut out just about every client we have um, and decided to put it into the membership. And <clears throat> I kind of wanted to expand out a little bit. I wanted to to include other stuff. I didn't want to be limited just to podcasting. And I was thinking about what we really talk about and i think it's it's more than just podcast i mean our general topic is fan building it's uh, like you said at the start it's it's finding those fans it's creating fans of your brand of your whether that's a podcast or whether it's a blog or whether it's video so it's kind of more wide content marketing but it's video and podcasting are what i love is podcasting at the core
0: but i love video too we do video alongside all of our podcasts these days really
1: So So it's great that we we can
0: merge everything into that. We can make, we can do the video and the audio at the same time, can't we? Yeah, exactly. One one recording and you get multiple bits of content. Precisely.
1: Yeah, totally. Um, So that was a plan. It was to expand it out a little bit. So I wanted to name it something other than podcast anything. And so we called it Fan Fishing. Um, because I'm a bit, because like I said, at the start I did physics, so fish, the whole fishing thing, like uh, sparking a, something and it just growing exponentially just appealed to me. And um, But the, the problem was that that little kind of move, even though it was, I th- I felt it was understandable. It was fans, you know. That's what you're doing in podcasting. Attract great fans. That was the point of the community. It was to help you create for your own fans to create a, a crowd of people that are loyal to your brand. It just it totally fell flat. It was it was a step too far. It was people just didn't really understand what we're on about. Whether it was even associated with our brand, which I completely underestimated. Um, the I completely underestimated the difficulty of repositioning a company or even a product within a company. Um, and so that first, that launch, we launched it over three weeks uh, and were met with mostly crickets. Uh, mm-hmm. We got we got a few people in. We got a great little core of people in. I think we sold about um, close to 20 memberships in that first two weeks. Uh, which I mean it is it's I was thankful to those 20 people that were they put the trust in us and joined in but it was a fair bit lower than we'd expected from the volume yeah. that we usually get so that was that was a big obstacle for me it was it was figuring out how to how to badge this stuff you know how, how to badge a product a service um so that it's not going to limit you in future because I now feel slightly limited in that we've got the podcast host academy but I want to put video stuff in there because we do video too so I'm trying to figure out how to do that just now. Um, and I don't have a solid answer for that yet, I have to admit.
0: I think you find that quite exciting.
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a, definitely an exciting part to it. Um, but there's also a... I said you were part. smiling when you <laughs> replied to that. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Aye. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm figuring it out. I think it's a big part of it is that... Podcasting is the is the core of what we do, but I think that video so supports podcasting as well. So I'm basically selling a lot of our members on video, and I'm talking to them about how they use video, and I'm talking to people outside that are thinking about joining about how they use other mediums like blogging and video alongside their podcasts. So yeah. I'm getting that I'm getting that language, I'm getting that, those ideas, I'm I'm learning much more about how people think about how podcasters think about tying in the other medium media, because. I think that's the key for it for me when I do, when we do manage to expand it a wee bit more. It's how how we tie them together because it was too big a jump, just jumping into fan fishing. It was too much. So I need to make it more incremental and that totally depends on learning the language of our audience and learning exactly how they think about it and putting that really in deep into the messaging we put into the products in future.
0: And what what would you say that your biggest bits of advice are for people that, are need, that are maybe need to pivot, may need to just, make a bit of a leap, you know, like you said, you probably weren't quite as brave as what some people say you need to be, or how you you, you felt you should be. What do you think that the things, if you were to say back, if you were to look at yourself back from now to then, what do you think the things that you would say would be? I think there's, uh, there's, uh, there's a lot of hype
1: around in the startup world and the online business world people saying you've got to take the leap you've got to uh, you've got to jump all in all that kind of stuff i don't i don't believe that i don't buy into that in any way i think that the people that have done that if you look deeply at their stories they've had a safety net of some sort there's a few good case studies out there one in particular that i know of that um has done so well now uh but the story actually shows that the the guy that did it had a massive safety net had like lo- quite a lot of money quite a big windfall a good bit of income coming in um that still allowed him to spend full time on a podcast and grow it massively so a lot of the people that seem to prove this rule that if you just go well and just believe in your passion all of that Nonsense, basically, that it's always going to work. (laughs) I just, I just don't believe that. I just think it's not. I just think it's crap for most people. I think that the best route for most people is actually to to spend a year or even two. People are going to hate this, but spend a year or two years building your content first, because I mean, I'm talking about content here. Content is what we are all about, and I think it's a really sustainable way to grow a business. But content takes time. You can't grow a business around content in three months and even six months it takes a year at least if not more so having doing it alongside a job maybe cutting out a day so that's why i did i cut down my university job from five days a week to three days a week so i still had that safety net even after that i found a further safety net and joining um, doing the phd and so i had a little bit of income and i had a i was building a qualification if it all fell to bits i had a better qualification out of it so i think that people the the entrepreneurs out there the coaches the gurus out there that say to people um if you don't just jump all in you're going to fail if you don't just jump all in you're not brave enough it's nonsense it's it's human it's (laughs) it's much easier for people to to sort of do it incrementally and it's much more sensible and it's actually much more um logical
0: because it takes quite a long time to build something like this anyway i'm going to put just about every single one of those quotes out there good stuff just gonna split it up to probably about 10 or 15 there and they're all going out there it because it's exactly the opposite of what a lot of people say isn't it yeah yeah that was awesome it, yeah, gonna, that was that that's almost... probably like true honest honesty <laughs> well i'm glad it glad it resonated so colin how can people sort of have a chat with you and ask you some questions and maybe even tell you that you're just talking a right load of shite when saying not just to jump in <laughs> I am happy to happy to hear that I'm talking a
1: right, right load of shite because uh, I haven't figured it all out by any means. Uh, and if you want to tell me that, then get on Twitter. Uh, I'm mainly on Twitter, uh, the podcast host, and Instagram actually. I'm loving Instagram these days, doing a lot of um, pictures and stories on there too. So you can I can have a, a chat with you on Instagram if you jump in, have a look at the story, and give me some comments. I am the underscore podcast underscore host on Instagram. Colin, thank you very much. No worries at all. Oh, and I forgot to mention the website, I suppose. If you do want any free podcast coaching, pop over to thepodcasthost.com and we've got all our articles and uh, videos and everything there and all the
0: podcasts too. So yeah, happy to help. <laughs> Forgetting to push your content there. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for this episode of The Turning Point. I've been your host, Daniel Moore. And today, our guest has been the wonderful Colin Gray. And remember, together we can make one of life's biggest herb.